Well, you know, my parents always told me and my sisters that we could do and be whatever we wanted. It was up to our imagination. I was an undergraduate student looking for a PhD place, wondering whether I'd be able to get myself a scholarship because I didn't have that confidence in my abilities. I see now I didn't need to worry. I had instructors who would say female formation pilots are much better pilots. So there were those who encouraged us to go forward and achieve as much as there were naysayers. You may have heard of the expression, you can't be what you can't see. Well, today we'll meet women in the defence industry who fought stereotypes and challenged the system to become leaders in their field. Women that you can see and who are role models for future generations. I think, Lily, that, that faith in, in yourself is very important, but faith from others as well. Hi, I'm Lily Cerner. Welcome to Technically Possible, a podcast presented by BAE Systems that dives into Australia's defence industry to meet the people who transform technological hopes and dreams into reality. One time, when I was a kid, I was sitting in the car with my granddad, counting from one to a hundred. For five-year-old me, a hundred was the highest number I could imagine, until he turned to me and said, no matter what number you can imagine, there's always a number that's bigger. My mind went. Despite campaigns by governments and industry, Women remain underrepresented in science, technology, engineering and maths, also known as STEM. Currently in Australia, less than 20% of engineering students are women. And in industry, female engineers make up less than 15% of the workforce. While progress has been made, there is much more work to do. So how can we encourage more women into STEM careers? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the National Press Club of Australia. Today's guest is Australia's Chief Scientist, Professor Tanya Munro. If you're Professor Tanya Munro is Australia's Chief Defence Scientist. She is the first woman in its 110-year history to lead the Defence Science and Technology Group. I'm responsible for helping shape what Australia does in innovation, science and technology to solve some of Defence's biggest problems. And, and I'm responsible for the STEM profession within defence. Um, so that means making sure that we have a coordinated approach to inspiring, attracting, retaining and developing STEM talent for Australia in the defence area. So it's a multifaceted role. It's an exciting role. Um, it's never boring. Tanya Munro knows all too well the experience of standing out in the crowd. My career path has been one where there often haven't been women because I focused in areas of maths and physics where there weren't women ahead of me. I actually probably felt um, the strangeness of being the first woman even more in a previous role when I was the first female professor of physics at the University of Adelaide in its 120-year history at the time. And the reason I felt it so viscerally is because you'd walk into the physics building and there was this wall of black and white photos of the professors of physics, a whole lot of men, the early men with amazing moustaches and beards, and then me. And I think it was that daily reminder, that visual wall of maleness that made me feel other or different. 
Today has been the most amazing day um, for our I company. think over my lifetime uh, I've probably hit my head on that glass ceiling a few so times oh, and I think I did it again, becoming the first female CEO. <laughs> One day I'll smash right through it. <laughs> Meet Gabby Costigan. After beginning her career as an aeronautical engineer, Gabby held leadership positions in the Australian Defence Force and within industry before becoming the first female CEO of BAE Systems Australia. I had a real passion for aviation and wanted to fly helicopters. I'd met many of my dad's friends in the Army who were helicopter pilots. It seemed to be a great adventure. I was most disappointed when I found out at the time that women were not allowed to fly helicopters. Gabby wanted to do something just as exciting as her dad. I guess I decided that, well, if I can't fly them, I'm going to try to fix them. And so that put me on my path to doing an engineering degree in uh, aeronautical engineering, which was fantastic. Our speaker this afternoon is Deborah Jefferson, who brings a wide range of... Hi, I'm Deborah Jefferson. I was one of the first two female pilots in the Air Force back in the late 80s. I subsequently changed careers, became a psychologist and a profiler, and I'm now working as a manager of intelligence with TALUS Australia. Deborah and her colleague Dr Robin Williams became the first women to get their wings in the Royal Australian Air Force. But it wasn't an easy road for Deborah. There wasn't as much of an opportunity for the diversity of uh, careers that there is now. And when I left school, I certainly hadn't thought about becoming a pilot because it wasn't open to women at the time. But in 1988, the then Federal Defence Minister, Ros Kelly, opened up the RAF to aspiring female pilots. My brothers were both aviators and I think it's quite funny at the time because I was looking to potentially pursue a career in medicine and my brothers were of the perspective that they didn't necessarily want their sister to join them as aviators but still rang me up and said, oh, they've just announced that they're going to recruit females, you might as well apply. So in which case, uh, I saw that as a red flag and a challenge and thought, well, if you can achieve it, I can achieve it. What was their reaction when you finally got in? They definitely um, were firm advocates and supporters of me during and after the training because the challenges didn't stop once I was trained as a pilot. They actually emerged at every new uh, element where you were encountering a new um, group of people who hadn't experienced females being there before. So, And then each time you got posted, which happened about every two years, to a new squadron, that would be a whole new range of people that you would have to win over and to prove that, that you were of a similar, if not better, standard to the males. The pressure to be as good, if not better, than male colleagues is something Deborah definitely felt. I did feel after several years of flying that we always had to be better than our male counterparts to be as good as because everything that you did was seen as within spotlight. Uh, So there was a high standard set for ourselves, especially when it came to 
um, making mistakes. And I think this translates to just generally, not just aviation. Um, you know, females in those roles where you're breaking the barriers, you have to be aware that when you make a mistake, there's going to be a big deal made about it versus a male making a similar mistake in the same situation. And I think um, the way I got around that was thinking, well, if in the future some other females will benefit from me being, making that mistake, not making a big deal of it and moving on and showing that everyone makes mistakes. The next generation of trailblazers are having a slightly easier time as attitudes change and years of effort to get more women involved in STEM are beginning to make a difference. Jackie is a young engineer. She joined BAE Systems as a graduate and today is working on the first design for manufacturing capability for the Hunter Class Frigate Program. I feel extremely lucky that I've come into the industry when it is becoming much more progressive and encouraging a lot more women to become engineers. And I've never noticed anything that's been significantly um, setting me back. I came into the graduate program as the only female out of nine of us. And if anything, we got we get more opportunities for us because uh, they are trying to develop women and make them comfortable and bring them into the industry more and more. While her workforce experience has been different, Jackie was also supported by her family in her interest in STEM. At home, Dad and I used to build those model planes together sometimes. And I was always given the Meccano set that he would help me build. We'd also go out in the yard on the weekends and build rabbit runs and other bits and pieces like that. So now that I've grown up a bit more, we spend a bit more time fixing my car together or uh, at the moment I'm building a motorbike that he's helping me with. I've grown up in a family of three girls. So I've got a twin sister and an older sister. And we always kind of joke about that I was the, the son that dad never got because I like doing that kind of stuff. It was at school that Tanya Munro fell in love with science. In year nine at school, I had the most amazing physics teacher and suddenly I could see how maths, which I'd always loved, was the language of physics. And using maths and physics, you could start to ask questions of the universe and create new knowledge. And I thought that was extraordinary and exciting. And I started reading books on astronomy and astrophysics and cosmology. And I decided at that age, at 14, I wanted to be a physicist. This opening up of the world and of knowledge is something I can relate to, because that's how I felt sitting in the backseat of my granddad's car. But it really does take the support of teachers, of family, of industry, to make women feel welcome in STEM. Because there will always be some who say that women aren't up to the task. When Deborah Jepperson fought to get into the cockpit, there were many who said she couldn't do it. Yes, Lily, we did get raised eyebrows and pushback. Uh, there were certainly um, situations where we encountered individuals who didn't believe that females should be doing the same career that males should be. There were um, put forward gynaecological reasons that w women shouldn't be flying in fast aircraft and it was just the thinking at the time. Um, science has proved otherwise since and uh, yet I had at the same time men who were extremely supportive. So it sounds like 
you were able to drown out any kind of naysayers and had enough faith in yourself to to keep going. I think, Lily, that that faith in in yourself is very important, but faith from others as well. Women definitely benefit drawing strength from other women. Positive male role models can also facilitate you breaking down those barriers. And there were certainly very supportive men along the way, as well as um, females, to provide that sense of community. As the numbers of female aviators increased, and uh, not just pilots, but navigators, load masters, and other females in, in those leading roles in the Air Force, then that sense of community could help break down the barriers more. This faith in yourself, the belief that I can do anything, is, according to Tanya Monroe, something to be nurtured in young women. Whether it's just a student making decisions on what subjects they do at school, right through to a woman in a STEM workplace deciding whether she'll put herself forward for a promotion, there's a very gendered thing about confidence. And we need to work not just to support our women in STEM to be more confident about their abilities, but support everyone to realise that you've actually got to support women differently. And the more women I talk to, the more I realise how many women are opting out of STEM because of confidence. You know, I see it even in my children's generation, you know, young women pulling themselves out of higher level maths and physics because they're worried they're not able to do it. And yet on the whole, the boys and the men tend to say, oh, what's the worst that can happen? I'll give it a crack. So I think we need to think quite seriously about what we need to do to level the confidence gap for girls and women because they're at least as able to contribute. They just don't know it yet. The rewards for putting yourself out there can be fantastic. Gabby Costigan can attest to that. I'm a bit like a kid in a candy store in our company because <laughs> I get so excited by so many different things. I love being in a hangar. There's something about aviation, probably because I grew up in that environment. So going back in them now, there's a real familiarity for me. But at the same time, the maritime community here has been fascinating. When you look at what they're doing, putting in this amazing new technology and capabilities, watching how technology has changed. You know, you go into the shipyard, now there's robots that are cutting steel and, and lasers that are being used. Then you go into our labs and you see this cutting edge machinery and technology. Everywhere you go, there's something new and something exciting. That's my passion. The defence industry offers a huge range of opportunities to work on cutting-edge technologies designed to protect people and national security. While there are many opportunities, there is still a long way to go for women to be equally represented in the field of STEM. And this lack of participation starts from a young age. What? I've found is that you talk to kids at a primary school age, whether girls or boys, you can get them very excited about STEM, whether it's astrophysics or dinosaurs, there's something for everyone. But then something happens in those early teenage years and many switch off. Part of Tanya Monroe's job is to get more young women staying with STEM. I'm the science patron and an alumni of the National Youth Science Forum. 
It's an amazing program that's been running for 38 years now that gets a few hundred of the brightest young STEM students between year 11 and 12 and exposes them to each other. You know, they get to find their own tribe, but they also get to see what it's like to do science in industry, in universities, outside school. That's a wonderful program. But a few years ago, I set up a pilot called the STEM Explorer to take that concept and bring it down to year seven and year eight. Because my theory is, if you get to year 11, and you know you love STEM, then we've got past that hurdle. There were many hurdles faced by the women I spoke to in this episode, and they all had thoughts on how they overcame them. Much of it had to do with having the support of family and friends, but also facing challenges head on, as Deborah Jefferson did in her pursuit of her pilot's wings. My approach when faced with a challenge is to think of what I want to achieve in the end state. And if my goal, for example, in finishing pilot's course and becoming a female aviator is that, then what I need to do and who I need to seek advice or mentorship to enable me to achieve that. When Tanya Monroe was appointed Chief Defence Scientist, she knew she would be able to make a real difference. What really motivates me in science is the idea that you can create new knowledge that can be pulled through into make a difference. Because I felt that in this leadership role, I could have really significant impact on making sure science delivers value to Australia's defence and national security. These opportunities for a rich and fulfilling career in STEM is something that Jackie is also passionate about sharing particularly for young women who may not fully grasp the possibilities available to them. Yeah, so there's definitely been times where I think they're not uh, super aware of like what engineering is and, I don't know, something they might use day to day like a hair straightener or they don't realise like how much engineering work goes into that product um, when they find out that like everything at your in your house has most likely been engineered at some point. I think that's probably like a big eye-opener for them. Despite the changes in attitude in young people like Jackie and the small increases in workforce participation, we still have a long way to go. I think over the last generation we've seen a significant uplift in the number of girls doing a range of STEM subjects into the end of school or early university years. What we haven't seen is that flow through the pipeline to more senior roles in the sciences the way it needs to. So whether you're talking universities or government labs, we're still stuck in many fields at 20, at most 25% senior people being women and it's, it's not okay. I'd also say there are other fields like computer science and engineering where the numbers of women at undergraduate levels are not lifting. It's not just about getting more women in the pipeline and assuming time will take care of the rest. We actually need to be really proactive because a lot more women leave that pipeline and don't go on to the senior roles. Because you can't be what you can't see, right? But the opportunities are definitely there for women to be part of an exciting future in STEM. Right now, it's an incredible opportunity here in Australia for the defence industry. We've got a government that is investing $270 billion in defence over the next decade. They're investing in Australian companies and they're investing in Australian people. We have incredibly capable and skilled people in Australia. And this investment is 
providing so many opportunities for future jobs and different jobs as technology changes over time. The opportunities are fantastic. When we have schools come and visit us, they can see that I love what I do and they can see that it's exciting, right? There's so many amazing and cool things that they can learn and play with and develop themselves and design. They're the kinds of things that we want to inspire these young kids to realise the opportunities are. So I hope I'm doing that. A long and stellar career has given Deborah Jepperson a clear view of what's ahead. I've seen a lot of changes over the last 30 years from what was a very male-dominated, Caucasian recruitment base to a defence force that is increasingly inclusive. Uh, the women are in a lot of senior roles and are reforming the way of thinking. Sounds like a lot has changed in, in the span of your career. Yes, a lot has changed and I'm very positive about the future of defence. I certainly think for young women, the world is their oyster. There are so many female senior leaders throughout defence, throughout defence industry, government, to reflect how they could achieve in their careers. I think what for me has shifted over time is the awareness that simply bringing women into the workforce is not enough. We need to shift our focus onto real inclusion. We need to make sure that when women are in the workforce, they feel valued, they feel able to contribute, that they really feel that they can make a difference. And it's not just women, it's broader diversity groups too. Making essentially capable people feel valued and able to thrive in their work environment. My thanks to all the women I spoke to in this episode of Technically Possible. Their stories are evidence that there is always someone looking to others for inspiration. And we can all be role models to others. Technically Possible is hosted by me, Lily Cerner. It's produced by BAE Systems Australia and Audiocraft. Music is by Epidemic Sound. If you haven't listened already, you can find all episodes of Technically Possible on your favourite podcast player. Let us know what you think. Find us on social media at BAE Systems Australia or drop an email to tppodcast at baesystems.com.